Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Karsam. And this week I'm joined by special guest co-host, Jessica. Salam alaikum. Uh, was that, who was that for? <laughs> that was to you. I'm okay, alaikum salam. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Um, so for those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, you'll have heard Jessica's voice in... I don't know which episode number, but it was the Riz test about a year, like a year ago, a year, a year and a half ago. Um, that was her first and last appearance on the <laughs> podcast. It turned it turned out that she knew nothing about movies. Um, and, and I'm not a, I'm not much of a speaker, but for this one, you dragged me out of my corner. I, I, I dragged you out of your corner of the office. Yeah. Um, no, well, you're not much of a speaker. I, I, I got you to do that uh, event at the mosque talking about the, the revert struggle as well. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so so like I think you're you're growing into it, and you have a, a YouTube series with the Muslim vibe called Being Muslim, where you present. So I I don't know where you're getting this notion of you not being able to speak coming from. It's it's the truth. I'm just acting as yeah. always. <laughs> so, anyways, um, on the podcast uh, this week, we're talking to a sister called Mary from uh, America. As specific as I can be. I think it's Oklahoma. Missouri. Missouri. Aren't they the same thing? I don't know. No, those are two separate states. Okay. Somewhere uh, from the Midwest, I think. The mid... No, wasn't it Middle America? <laughs> you just like that word. I like Middle... She's from Middle America. Um, and uh, Mary's got quite a, a, a winding story, I want to say. Like, it, like her... I don't want to kind of, I'll let her kind of obviously tell the story, but just her kind of finding the faith, finding Islam, um, and then kind of what brought her a lot closer to Allah after converting to Islam, and, and just generally her kind of overall outlook and whatever else I think is quite um, fascinating. And for someone that's, that's, that's relatively young as well, in her early 20s, has been through more than... I think what most of us can expect to experience in a lifetime. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's quite incredible, um, to be honest, just like everything that she's been through. Uh, and that's it. And we talk a little bit about your own story as well. Although but that's not important. The, her story <laughs> is amazing enough. I mean, we, we just sat there listening the whole time. Yeah, we, we, we pretty much did. But there were moments where we kind of just discussed. And I, I think, Jessica, you're, the, interesting, the, the, the juxtaposition for me is that you're journey and story has been quite different to hers yeah but but we're we're not all the same it's almost like we're trying to make the point that converts slash reverts whatever you call them are not just a monolith (laughs) and there's like so much diversity in the stories and the way that people come to islam and their outlook and everything else and also whilst like personally i'm not a fan of the whole what's your revert story type question and that's it that's the end of the conversation i believe there should be more depth but her story in itself, I think, is 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 quite um, quite unique. And it's um, a reminder that we're all being tested constantly, constantly. and in different ways. Yeah, um, and and yeah, she she does mention kind of going through like a, a, a beginning or early life crisis. Yeah, and and that's what kind of triggered her journey ultimately towards Islam. Um, I think we've said enough. Uh, so here's our conversation with Mary. Hello, Mary. Thank you very much for, for joining us on the podcast today. Um, the coffee oh, machine is going off. We'll just continue Maybe like it's, it's not, not picking there. It, up. it probably isn't. It's fine. Yeah. So, um, sorry, our coffee machine is making noise. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it or if the listeners can. But it's, no, uh, I, am, I am good here. Okay, very good. So we'll pretend like it's not happening and not really, really <laughs> okay. loud for us. Yeah. So um, 
we wanted to kind of talk about, I guess, explore your your journey and your story, which is quite a, a I want to say unique and, and fascinating one. Um, but then also look at, I guess, more broadly and opening up also to to kind of Jessica and, and your experience as well um, of, I guess, finding Islam um, and I think also yeah, a, a achieving a sort of closeness to God that everyone is looking for and, and figuring out what are the things that kind of bring you closer to God. I think what's particularly interesting from a perspective of a, of a born Muslim um, is that for people that are not born into the faith, finding Islam on the one hand is fascinating in itself but then I've always seen like a certain strength and depth amongst the revert community that that you often don't see amongst Muslims that are born into the faith that are oftentimes more cultural Muslims does that make mm -hmm. sense to either of like you? Like you take it for granted Definitely. yeah yeah so I think the starting point um Mary and I don't know where you want to start your story because uh, it is quite a, a, an amazing one. But the starting point would just be to kind of, for you to, I guess, tell us a little bit more about your journey towards Islam. Definitely. Okay, so my journey towards Islam started somewhat recently. I began during my later years of university. I hosted a few foreign exchange students um, of Arabic descent, and they followed Islam and they were Muslim and it, and it kind of introduced me in a way that I hadn't experienced before um, as an American. Um, I didn't really have a lot of encounters with, with Muslim individuals or, or followers of Islam. And so whenever I started to really engage on a deeper level with these people, it, it, it intrigued me and sparked my interest slightly. Um, and this is backing up just slightly. Um, I, I grew up Christian. Um, I was raised in a Christian household, um, going to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and praying um, before bed and before meals in a very, very strict Christian household. And whenever I was about 16 years old, I started to realize that, you know, I had a lot of questions that were unanswered and I really wanted to start pursuing and learning about different religions. Mm -hmm. And it was about this time that um, I, I started to study and I found Buddhism, which I know is quite different than both Islam and Christianity, but I was intrigued by the, um, kind of like the morals and, and the theories behind the, re the religion. Um, now I see it more as like a, a philosophy, but at that time it was kind of the way that I based my life, um, just revolving around meditation and finding like, um, my inner enlightenment and treating others the way I wanted to be treated and being the best person that I could be. And through acts of service, which, a lot of those things also translate to Islam as well. I just didn't realize. I was realize about to say that there's a, a lot of Islamic principles you've just there, thrown away. There are, and, and it's if you don't, I guess, dig deep into both of the religions, then you don't realize that there is, you know, a common ground because one believes in God and one does not. So there is quite um, drastic differences between the two religions. But the parts that appealed to me was just being the best person that you could be and being humble and caring for others. And so that was what really motivated me to follow Buddhism. And I'm not saying that Christianity didn't follow those aspects as well. Just mm -hmm. in my part of my life, I didn't feel that it did. Um, but like you just said, it's different when you grow up in a religion, sometimes whenever you choose the religion for yourself. So I felt that I was following it for my parents. I was following it because it was my country's culture. I was following it just because it was the norm, not because I wanted to follow it. 
So was it I, like sorry to interrupt? No, I'm just no, curious though. Was it like your your faith in God that was faltering, or was it your faith in Christianity that was faltering? Like which? I, I mean, or was it tied together? I guess it was my faith in people, um, because all the people that I knew were Christians, and none of them exhibited any of the Christian mm-hmm. behaviors. Um, none of them. They backing up. They all would would steal or lie or cheat or they didn't pray or they only acted religious on Sundays or it was just not saying that everyone's like that because I know that that's not the case. Just a lot of the people that I knew exhibited behaviors that I didn't want to surround myself with. And so I felt that they didn't take religion seriously. And so it made me kind of in return, not take it seriously. It was just kind of conventional. Um, like you did it because you had to, um, not because you wanted to, and it was expected of you. So I don't know. It was just like, now I know, I mean, I know some very wonderful Christians, but at the time in my mind, it was just, it just didn't fit right with my perception of how I wanted my life to be based on the people that I knew. Um, so I started to study and then I converted to Buddhism and, a few years later, so that was when I was about 16, um, when I was about 21 years old, I started to really know Islam. And it was at this point that I was graduating university, and I had always loved to travel. I traveled quite a lot before this point. Um, I went to Thailand and to Indonesia and Hong Kong and Belize and Mexico and United Kingdom and some other places, um, and I never wanted to come home. It was always the worst thing ever to come home because I always took uh, month-long trips and I hated it. Oh my goodness. I was always tempted to stay wherever I was. And I came back from a trip to um, Thailand in December. So it was December, 2017, came back January, 2018. And I, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about leaving again. And so March rolled around the beginning of March and I decided to post everything that I owned on Facebook Marketplace. And I was like, you know, I am going to try to sell everything and see how far I get. And the one I don't sell, if I sell enough of it, then I'll take to my family's house. I'm going to buy a one-way ticket and I'm going to go somewhere because I am 21 years old. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I am just now starting my career. I call it my like beginning of life crisis. Like I knew that I had to get away <laughs> and do something before I got tied down and had roots. So can, can, I, I, can I pose you and ask a very quick question? Definitely. Um, Facebook Marketplace. How effective is that to sell things? You know, I sold let's say sixty percent, and I then that's good. no, I did good. Let's say I sold sixty percent. I sent twenty percent to my family's house, and I threw away about ten percent of stuff, which I probably should have thrown away a lot more. I just had it's so still 10% much. Still ten percent unaccounted for. Still ten percent, exactly. <laughs> and the, I had oh my, I had two cats. I pawned one of them off on my dad very reluctantly. Oh, wow. Now he loves him. He won't give him back. Um, but <laughs> I had to rehome one of them. So like it was, I was serious. Oh, wow. I had to get rid of like one of my animals. Um, I. My, fa- my family thought I was crazy. I called them and I said, I'm leaving in three weeks. And I bought a one-way ticket to Tunisia. And Tunisia was my first destination. Um, Can I ask why, I, why you chose that country specifically? Well, a year before that, I didn't even know what Tunisia was. Um, my friend <laughs> who I met, she said, I'm from Tunisia. I said, oh, I've been to Indonesia. Oh, she wow. said, she said, no, Tunisia, Tunisia in Africa. I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, I didn't know anything about North Africa. I didn't know really anything about the Middle East. 
um, I didn't really like geography, like like in my mind, like placing it on a map. Like I couldn't because I never really thought about that part of the world. I suppose. Um, so I, I met some wonderful friends from Tunisia who were foreign exchange students in the U.S. and they were relocated back in Tunisia at that time. So I guess it made my jumping off point a little bit easier to go to a country that I had people already because I wanted to travel alone, but I was still nervous. Of course, anytime you make a big jump like that, you're going to be a little bit hesitant. Um, so I booked a one-way ticket to Tunisia and not really with religion in mind, not really with anything in mind, just with finding myself. I wanted to explore different places. I wanted to meet new people. I wanted to figure out what life was about and, and what it meant to me. Um, so with a backpack and a duffel bag, I went to Tunisia and this was in March of 2018. And I stayed there for a couple of months and then decided that I wanted to go to other places and see other things. But during my time in Tunisia, this was my first like full immersion experience in Islam. It was the first time that you know I heard the call to prayer. It was the first time that I was around women in, in hijab because even my Muslim friends in America, they didn't wear hijab. One of my friend's mother did. Um, but she was the only person, I mean, I lived in Missouri. I grew up in Oklahoma and Missouri in the United States, both of which are very country states, I suppose. Like you don't see women in, in scarves, um, ever. I think I might've seen like three in my whole life. So it was totally unconventional. And so they, they just didn't, they didn't wear a hijab, um, now, I mean, I definitely would when I went home, but I guess I guess to each their own, so that will be another topic. Um, but so I, I went, and I had never seen women in, in scarves. I had never heard the call to prayer. I've never seen people pray. I've never lived that. And Tunisia is a little bit more um, westernized than where I ended up later in my story, um, but it was a good first exposure because it was a good mix between, like, um, more strict Islamic culture and my Western norms. So it was a good, a good first step into Islam. And I spent but a lot of time. I, sorry, at this point you weren't, as in, I assume you were kind of content and comfortable with your beliefs totally. as, as, as a Buddhist. I, so this I wasn't like was. a journey, although it was a journey of, of kind of self-discovery that you wanted to go on. Um, it, it wasn't a case of like, I, I mean, how how deep a, a beginning life crisis was it? Were you reassessing and reevaluating everything in your life, or was it just that I had, you didn't want to be where you were? I had no like contemplation in my mind about religion while I was in Tunisia. I had arguments with people like about why do you believe in God? I don't believe in God. Like why Buddhism is better? They felt sorry for me. I felt sorry for them. Like, it was just kind of... And then you go your separate ways. <laughs> we go our separate ways, you know? So there was a lot of discussions that kind of got me thinking and kind of got me reading and researching a little bit more, but not really to the point where I was, like, consuming my thoughts. It was just kind of like someone would say something and I would research it and I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. And then I would go on with my day. So it was... It just kind of exposed me to a deeper level and showed me a little bit more, but kind of in my subconscious and from that point, I, I went to Germany um, and 
I was there for a while. I also somehow in Germany hung out with only Muslim people. I don't know how this happens everywhere I went. So like this is just kind of the central like idea to my journey, which is quite strange. I don't know if I subconsciously seeked those people out or if it just happened that way. Um, but I had a lot more encounters, but they were kind of more westernized, which we are all westernized. I mean, you guys live in, in London and I'm in America. So it's just kind of a gradual process of kind of learning a little bit more, I suppose. And um, Germany was wonderful. It's Berlin is still my favorite city in the entire world. I would love to live there one day, inshallah, we will see. Um, but from Germany, I went to France. Um, same, same story. I was engaged. I was in France during Ramadan, and I engaged with a lot of, of Muslim people during Ramadan. And it was kind of eye-opening. And just once again, though, I wasn't even thinking about converting to Islam. I wasn't even in my mind. I was just enjoying my travels. I was enjoying being alone. I was enjoying traveling. I was enjoying uh, meeting new people and expanding my horizons and the transient relationships that I was was coming across, just meeting people and being able to move on. And um, it was it was wonderful. I loved it so much. And then after that, I went to Jordan. And Jordan is where my story really begins. Um, Jordan was picked because I had a couple of really good friends from Jordan back in the U.S. And they were wonderful people. And so I was like, I want to go to the Middle East. But where do I know has, what country do I know has really nice people? I was like, oh, in my mind, I was like, Jordan has nice people. I suppose the people I know from Jordan are nice. And so I decided to get on this website called Workaway. And I was running low on funds at this point. I was traveling for a while. So I booked this Workaway in Wadi Rum. So I was living in the desert for... I was supposed to be there for, for one month, and I was going to exchange free accommodation and food for social media work. And so I went to Wadi Rum, and it's kind of a bit of a culture shock to go from being in France, in Europe, and in Germany, to living in the desert. And so I, I leave France, and I go straight to the desert, not even one day in the city. And it's like 140 degrees. It's so hot. I can't like be clean anywhere. I get in the shower and then I step out and then there's sand everywhere. So it was it was different. And but it was wonderful. Wadi Rum is a beautiful place. Um, but after two weeks, I was a little finished with being in the desert, I suppose. Two weeks is about as long as I would recommend living in the desert to preserve one's sanity. Um, <laughs> so after that, I decided to go to a nearby city off the Red Sea called Aqaba. Um, Aqaba within, is a, it's a beautiful city. Within one or two days, I met a tour guide and I spent a little bit of time with him. I mean, we were always like around other people and doing stuff in public. We met for coffee one day and he said, you should meet my dad. He's an English teacher, and he would love to have a native English speaker in his um, in his school. And so I said, that sounds great. He's like, okay, let's go right now. And I'm, like, dressed not like how I'd want to meet someone's dad. Not that I was dressed poorly, but I was in a pretty conservative country, and I was wearing, you know, short sleeves and holy jeans, and I was just 
I was dressed super American. I would have loved to like maybe put on like a cardigan or something, you know, like just if I'm going to meet someone's dad or going for a job interview, I was just, just came from the desert and I went and met his dad and he offered me a teaching job. And then with time, I started to spend more time with this tour guide and he was wonderful. Um, but we only really got to hang out in his father's music studio because he was he was really religious. His father was really religious. And even though I couldn't understand, I had my own apartment. I was like, come over. Like, we can watch a movie. Like, we can make dinner. You know, like, he's like, no, I can't come over. I'm like, do you not want to hang out with me? I don't, I don't quite understand. Like, I'm so alone. Like, I didn't want anything. I just wanted company. He's like, well, you can come to the school. I'm like, I'm at the school all the time. Like, I don't want to stay at the school any longer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, I, I can't. I was like, okay, this is fine. And later I understood why, and I really appreciated it. But at the time in my American mindset, I was like, this is crazy. Like, I like this guy, I think, and he doesn't want anything to do with me. I was like, I'm going to leave Jordan, and I'm tired of this. Anyways, I'm glad that I didn't. Um, after about a month, a month and a half, I was ready to leave Jordan though. And I was ready to travel and go and see other places, but I wanted him to come with me. I wanted him to come and travel with me. I was about to head to Turkey. Um, but he couldn't with me unless we got married and and that, that escalated quickly. It did escalate very quickly, you know. And I was like, we were sitting in his his music, his dad's music st- studio one day, and his dad said, "You guys should get married." And I look at him, and he looks at me. We kind of like laugh because he wasn't ready to get married either. Um, he was twenty three years old. He was super immature. I mean, he's wonderful now, but it takes a little bit of time to grow up and be ready, you know, to get married. And you kind of it's a little bit of a mindset change. Um, especially whenever a month prior you weren't even contemplating getting married. And yeah. I just, I, it wasn't in my mind, but his dad said, you know, if you want to travel, then you need to get married. He has two younger sisters in order to, to preserve the integrity of the family and keep the respect of the family. They couldn't have rumors that their son, the son of a pretty prestigious music teacher, ran away with an American woman to Turkey. And it just would have made a huge ruckus in the city. So we decided not to, to follow that route. He decided not to run away with me and he got married. Um, religiously, not legally at that point because I wanted to leave and I was very persistent that I was leaving and we didn't have time because we had to go to the Capitol and come back and do all these things. So we got married um, through Islam in August. and Of, of last year? Of... Yes, of last year. So of 2008. 2008, so when I was 2020, so you confused oh, okay. me just yeah, just a moment. Right. <laughs> two, two years. Okay. Two, I guess like a year and a half ago. I got married August 2018. Okay, yeah. And it was wonderful at that time. I was like, oh, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, I, I think he's fine. You know, if he's not fine, we can make other arrangements later if we don't end up working <laughs> out. Like, once again, my American mindset, like everything's temporary. And my Buddhist mindset, I'm like, we can... Just live the moments and sure, let's see let's what, try this happens. out. <laughs> see what happens. And through this is when I first really got emerged and engaged with Islam because I spent every day with a family who was super strict in their in their beliefs. 
Um, and it was wonderful. I didn't expect to know so much and to learn so much. And in the beginning, actually, I was very resistant. I remember sitting in the music studio and, and he taught music and English, so I might switch back and forth. He's very well-versed man. He's very interesting. He can do anything you need and anything you want. Um, my husband's father. But I remember sitting in the studio and talking with some of the English students and because they wanted to practice their English. And it was always religion that came up. So we would always not necessarily argue, but kind of like go back and forth for why we believed different things. And if you ask his father, he'll say that he converted me to Islam like he will take full credit for it and it, it's not necessarily the case but he will take full accountability and he is so proud of it so I let him take the win and talk about it all that he wants because he really he talked to me about it all the time and um I, I think so, sorry to, to cut you off very briefly but but something um interesting that you said when we when we first spoke um a couple of weeks ago you mentioned that you your background is kind of in business analysis. Is that right? Yes, that's Data. correct. And, and you were talking about, and I found it very interesting the way you phrased it, but you were talking about how you had looked at, I think, Christianity alongside Islam or even Buddhism alongside Islam and kind of analyzed almost the pros and cons <laughs> or the differences of it and, and the way that the religions are shaped, which I think is is. It's quite a. It's not something that I would probably do yeah. um, if I was looking at this. But you kind of brought your business analysis to the decision, um, and it was like a, a measured. Although obviously that the the journey that you went on kind of took you down a very windy path, but it was like a, a measured decision that you took. Um, and even when looking at Buddhism as well, I'm, I'm sure that the jump from Christianity to Buddhism for you at the time made sense on like an analytical level. Um, that's quite an interesting way of looking at things, I think. I, I really did. I honestly had an Excel spreadsheet with three columns with the thing. Okay, you didn't tell me there was a spreadsheet. <laughs> well, I had a spreadsheet. I had, <laughs> I had a documentation for everything that I, but like pros and cons of everything because I wow. do have a background in, in data analytics and that's just how my mind thinks. And if I heard something that was interesting, I wanted to record it so I didn't forget it not that I necessarily ever forgot it but I just really wanted to see everything and be able to to compare everything and see how it resonated with me and it was a very drawn out process I think I still probably have the spreadsheet somewhere um, but whenever I learned interesting things from people I would take out my phone and jot down notes and then add it to my spreadsheet later and I don't know why in Excel I could have probably done it in Word or something else that would have been just as but you're an, you're an analyst, so it makes sense. Excel is like the go-to, right? I have oh my, I have everything in Excel, but that's how that's how it's my accumulation of of knowledge and data. Um, it, it, that's how it all started, and I did need to to analyze it. I couldn't just say, okay, I'm converting to Islam because this sounds good and this sounds good. I had to say, okay, why don't I believe in Christianity anymore? Why don't I believe in Buddhism? Why don't I believe in or why do I believe in Islam? And I wouldn't say that I have anxiety. I just have a lot of things on my mind all of the time. And so mm. if I don't jot things down and organize them, then it just kind of gets a bit overwhelming. So I had to really see things to where it wasn't in my mind all the time and I wasn't thinking about it all the time. Yeah. I just had to visualize it a, a bit differently. Um, if I can quickly get Jessica to jump in here. 
About you, I did not have an Excel sheet. I can't even use one. How many today. countries did you travel to before you converted to uh, to Islam? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but no. But I mean, your your wow. your journey was a, a little uh, different, I guess, right? It was different, yeah. But it's still. I mean, yeah, it's, it's actually very different. Like I I came from a completely atheist background, and so it wasn't really comparing religions in my case i mean i had to do that later on but for me it was just about kind of refinding god, god. yeah and so that was kind of my journey because i never even had that concept of god growing up so for me that was the main focus and then after i came to that then that's when i started comparing but can i ask from a um and i guess more, more jessica from you from like yeah. a an atheistic perspective yeah um, I would almost argue that the the belief or the understanding there is that the self is at the center, right? That, that no, it's the opposite. It's that you, like, you mean in the wider universe aspect? No, in the wider universe. Oh. No, like, like I, I am in control of what I do. I can do what I want. Oh, I, see what you mean. I can enjoy my life because yeah. there are no consequences. Y- yeah. What made you or what would make somebody shift from that understanding and mindset to then embracing a kind of rigid framework of religion the reason why i embraced religion and not just my own faith in god is because i needed like some kind of a system Mm. to make sure i'm actually physically and mentally showing my love and my faith and my devotion to god so for me that's how i personally did it it was like i needed some kind of a community which i kind of later backed out of but (laughs) i needed like a community and and some kind of a system yeah um to help me, I guess, make sure that I really am devoted to God. And in terms of like switching from complete atheism to to finding God, it was this question of like, I mean, science is always changing. Any real scientist will tell you that there's only theories, right? There aren't actual facts, right? But it's, um, no, but that's, that's true. There's, there's no such thing as a fact, right? It's just a temporary theory that we accept might be 90% true, possibly, maybe. <laughs> but it was this idea that there's no answer to why we're here. It was always how we're here, what we are, um, what, what surrounds us, what are we made out of? You know, it was those kinds of questions. But, but are these the questions that are keeping you up at night? Yeah, it kept me up at night. Really? So why am I here? What is this universe? Like, what, like, what's the point of this? Is it really just random combustion of atoms and, and dark matter? And Mary, coming back to you, at, at kind of 16, you said you converted to Buddhism. That's really young. That's I, I feel like that's a yeah. really young age to be concerning yourself with matters of the universe and and like you know what's our purpose and what drives us and everything else. Like yeah. uh, what kind of brought you round to like because you know the the whole conversation that we've had so far or like everything you were telling us, you were talking about kind of different phases of your life where you were you were born into a Christian family. I think that's a no brainer. Like you, you're born into whatever family you're born into. But then often people begin on a journey of of kind of religious self-discovery. Um, they probably start the journey then, but to make the jump into into like a, a completely different um, faith and, and set of principles at such a young age is, is quite bold, especially, I guess, coming from, I'm going to say Middle America because I don't know where Oklahoma is. You're correct. You got it. Am I correct? Okay. I just like saying Middle America. I hear it all the time. <laughs> Um, so yeah, from, from like middle America um, to, to suddenly jump to something like Buddhism, where I'm assuming there weren't necessarily that many Buddhists around you in, in like a country type state or wherever. Um, like, w- what 
kind of drove you to that? I would say there is even less Buddhist than there are Muslims <laughs> where I grew up. So that would even be a smaller mi minority. Um, but I guess what started it was the fact that I didn't, at the time, want to believe in God, which is a hard thing to say and to accept. But I was at this point in my life that I kind of wanted to not believe that there was a God and not believe that there was really any one making any controlled decisions or, or judgments or anything based on my life and that I was in control of my life. But it was also just a time that I also took the first religion course um, that I've ever taken. So it was my first exposure to other religions. Um, I started university courses when I was 16. And I, my first course was an elective, and it was Introduction to World Religions. So we had Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, and Buddhism. No Islam. So that was really an, an interesting point. I don't know why there wasn't Islam mentioned in that I have class. Some theories on it, to it, why it's a conspiracy. <laughs> it is. It is a conspiracy. But those are the four religions that we that we covered. Um, yeah. And so I didn't. I knew Christianity already. Um, I knew a bit about Judaism, but it was just, to me, it's something that didn't resonate with me because you don't, you just think of, you relate Israel to, to Judaism or, um, I was like, I'm not from it. It just, it wasn't an option in my mind. Um, and then Hinduism came and I was like, well, I don't really agree with Hinduism. And then Buddhism came and it was just all revolved around the fact of being the best person that you can be for you not getting too many attachments because everything in life is temporary. Um, treating people the way that you want to be treated. Um, and those are like my main things. And the fact that like God is more so within yourself, like within your consciousness than it is in the outside world. And I was like, you know, this is great. I don't feel like I have to believe in God. And I don't feel like... I, I don't know. It was just, it was a strange sense of freedom that it brought me at 16 in my immature Interestingly, mind. <laughs> in, interestingly, like reflecting on my own experience of, of studying religion at school, I remember when we came across Buddhism, mm -hmm. I thought it was awesome because I, I didn't see anything that I really had too much of an issue with. It, it, I, I felt like at times it was quite extreme in, I believe like they, they, or they have a vegan diet, Buddhists have a vegan diet and, and they don't believe in harming anything from the earth so even like uprooting an onion for example from the ground um is seen to be problematic and i remember thinking okay that's a bit far for me at least but the fact is that the principles are quite beautiful and i didn't see any of that to be at odds with islam in that sense um and, and i still and don't think there's any problem I, I, in saying you're a buddhist and a muslim okay now it's getting controversial for the sake no of no it. no i mean honestly <laughs> it's it's not i mean buddhism is is religion in some areas of the world right but it's like a like a, a philosophy. Yeah, that's what, a philosophy. That's what we said as well on the call that we had. I don't know if you remember that. Like with, with Buddhism, it is like a, a way of life um, rather than a religion, even though sometimes people call a religion a way and of also, life. And also, like what if originally, the, you know, the Buddha was a prophet and it's just been so like corrupted? Honestly. Jess is getting too comfortable Sorry. here now. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I, I think about it before. Conspiracy Hour featuring Jessica. It Go makes on. me feel better I about my own background. It is true. I mean, you can follow Buddhist philosophies and also follow Islamic principles because the two tie together a lot. And that was a yeah. lot of the confrontation my husband and I had initially because 
he would say something in Islam, I'd say, oh, like in Buddhism, and he would say, they are not alike, because he didn't know, he didn't know, and he would, like, I remember we were in Cambodia, and there was a huge fight at the Angkor Wat temples in Cambodia, because he said something about Islam, and I compared it to Buddhism, and it was, it was a huge fight, and then later, I, like, we left the temples, it was a big deal, so we, um, Wait, did they kick you out of the temple, or you guys voluntarily left? We voluntarily (laughs) left, he said that we were leaving the temples. Um, (laughs) Later we came back, after he realized that I wasn't saying that, I wasn't bringing Islam down in any way, I was just saying that this is also something that I have believed for a long time. And but that, that's the thing, I, I guess, like, it, it's even us having this conversation around religion and, and our own personal um, perspective on it. It's a very personal thing. And like you, your Islam and mine and Jessica's are all different and unique. Right. And I think there's, there's almost like a richness and a beauty to that, that like the same, even the same sentence can mean yeah. different things to different people um, when it comes to religion and our convictions and everything else. Um, speaking of convictions. Uh, I think, and I don't mean like people getting arrested. I mean, just <laughs> conviction in this sense. Um, I, I think the, and, and it probably lends nicely to kind of the second half of your story. Believe it or not, there is a second half for people listening. Um, the, the first half was just the journey kind of towards Islam. And I'm sure there's even more there. But I think um, what's interesting and, and what triggered this for me is that when you got in touch, you also sent across an article. Um, and in the article, have we published the article yet, Jessica? Yes, we have. We have. Okay, yeah. so we'll, we'll put the link in the description where people can read the article. But you were talking about um, your experience with your son. And that might be a bit of a spoiler for people who don't know that she's got a son. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so your, your son and um, the kind of um, health uh, issues that he was born with, but also the lessons that you've learned from that. And I think the last point in the in the article that you wrote was talking about kind of never losing faith in God and how that only strengthened your faith. And I, I think what's quite um, inspiring about that is considering, for example, how uh, new you are to the religion. I think a lot of people, and there are there are critical moments in all of our lives, but there are, you know it, it would be easy for someone to be like, oh, God doesn't love me, God doesn't exist, or whatever it might be. Why would God do this to me? Um, but you kind of almost doubled down and, and, and got even closer to God in the process. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit about, um, I don't know how you, you'll go from converting to Islam to, to having a kid, but t- carry on the story, please. Of course. Luckily in my life, everything happens quite quickly, so it's not, <laughs> not too difficult of a, of a conversion. Um, You'll we, be a grandmother before you know it. Oh my goodness! I inshallah, <laughs> I sure, I sure hope not. Oh my goodness. Um, so we, my, I took my husband. We left to travel. We went to Turkey. We went to Cambodia. We went to Indonesia. And then we ended up in Malaysia, and in Malaysia on my husband's birthday, I found out that I was expecting. Um, we. We're not in Jordan. We were not in America. Um, so we obviously had to go home. Um, at that point, we, we returned back to Jordan. Um, we were unable to go back to the United States at that time because immigrating to the U.S. is quite a lengthy process, um, a process that we are still enduring now. So hopefully that <laughs> comes to a close Inshallah soon. soon. Inshallah. Um, but we went back to Jordan, and I began going to OBGYN appointments. Um at the, at the point, there was nothing wrong. Everything was completely okay. Um, but I just really didn't feel confident with my OBGYN. I didn't feel that she was really looking at my scans. I didn't feel that she was 
really being tentative to my needs or to what the questions I was asking. So I asked that we go see a different OBGYN. And I really wanted my husband to go with me because in America, it's the norm. I'm sure it is in London as well. Your husband and wife, you go together to the OBGYN appointments. And that wasn't possible as long as I saw a woman because all the women doctors didn't allow men into their offices. So it was women only. Oh, in, in and Jordan. Sorry, right? In yeah. okay. Jordan. Keep up, Jessica. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry. So it's in, not your fault, it's Jessica. <laughs> Carry on. Wow. In Jordan, <laughs> my husband could not go as long as I was seeing a female doctor. And it was difficult because I couldn't hop on Yelp or Yellow Pages. I don't know if you guys have that in London or if you have the similar yeah, one, but... Yeah, I couldn't I hop think, on Google. Yeah, we, we have Google, <laughs> of course. That's, that's made it to the UK finally. <laughs> oh, I couldn't hop on Google and look at reviews for um, OBGYN. So I just kind of had to ask around, and there was this older gentleman um, who we ended up deciding on so that my husband could go with us. And at the first appointment, he said, "Come back in one week." Um, I went to see you again. The baby wasn't in a good position. So we came back in one week, still completely oblivious that anything was going on. And he examined me again. And he said, I'm going to refer you to a specialist in Amman, the capital. Um, Your your child has some dilated bowels. Um, I said, is there anything to be concerned about? He said, no, dilated bowels are super easy to fix, but you should go ahead and go to Amman. So I had been trying to talk my husband into moving to Amman for the last two months. I needed a shopping mall. I needed Indian food. I needed, oh my goodness, there was, (laughs) oh, I love Indian food. And the closest Indian food in Aqaba was in Eliot, which is in Israel across the border. And I could easily cross the border, um, but he couldn't. couldn't, And he wasn't going to get an Israeli visa just to go get Indian food with me, (laughs) even though I persisted and I tried. Um, I even tried to get them to deliver it to the border and then oh, me pick it up from the border. Oh, my God. Wow. They said I couldn't take food through customs. So, um, anyways, that was my story with <laughs> how we went to Amman. So, I really just – I we contemplated just going for doctor's visits, but I knew I was going to have to deliver in Amman. So, we ended up just moving. Um, we – another thing that that – Allah played a role here is that in Jordan you have to rent for one year usually in Amman and you have to pay everything up front so you have to pay for the entire year at one time um, in the apartments that we were looking at and so we initially went a couple days before we moved we picked out an apartment and we were going to pay it was going to be like like $9,000 or something like that so it's quite expensive for one year um, just to pay everything outright and We went there, and they ended up changing the entire, like, apartment from the four days prior that we saw it to where we were. And so we fought with them. We got our money back. We were like, we're not moving here. And then we continued to search for a different apartment. We ended up searching for, like, a week. We were so tired. Um, We were living, like, in a rental apartment in a car. So, And then we ended up finding a different apartment that let us pay in three months at a time, which it ended up working out perfectly because we didn't stay in Jordan for longer than three months. Um, after that, I'm sorry for, it was like four months after that. Um, we ended up leaving Jordan quite soon after because, um, my son was born and backing up slightly, we saw six OBGYNs while we were in Amman, six specialists in gastrointestinal disorders. All of them said he has a dilated bowel. That was it. We hired a surgeon, um, who had wonderful experience, um, throughout Europe and Australia and the, in America and, 
he was in Jordan, and I felt very confident with him. He said, oh, it's so easy. It's like an hourglass. You're going to cut out the small part. You're going to attach it. He's going to be out of the hospital in two weeks. Don't be worried. I kept saying, do I need to go back to America? Like, I have to leave my husband. What if something happens? I'll, I'll be alone. He was like, no, you can have the baby here. There's no problems. So I felt confident having the baby in Jordan. Um, Hamza is his name. And when I was eight months pregnant, I went into labor, so a month early. And I went into labor, and I had an emergency C-section, and they found that Hamza had no intestines at all. Um, he had a disease or a, a diagnosis called gastroschisis, um, which means that, which is something, subhanAllah, something so amazing, that early in pregnancy in all women, which I didn't know, the baby's intestines grow outside of the baby until about 10 weeks. And at 10 weeks old, the intestines twist at about a 90-degree angle and go back inside of the baby's abdomen. Well, Hemza's intestines twisted the other direction, um, causing malrotation. So his intestines didn't grow because they didn't have the blood supply because they were twisted. And then a little bit of his in intestines did grow, about 10%, and they grew through an opening outside of his abdominal wall next to his belly button. And the amniotic fluid that the baby floats in is fine for his skin, but it's not fine for his internal organs. So the amniotic fluid kind of eats at the intestines and makes them not work. Um, in the U.S. it has quite, and, and in the U.K. and some other um, countries in Europe and Australia, it has quite a, a good um, life outlook, like its survival rate of about 90%. But um, unfortunately in Jordan, it's much less than that. Um, my surgeon had been a surgeon for 30 years, and he had never seen the degree of intestinal loss as Hemza had. Um, due to that, he gave him three to seven days to live. Um, wow. I remember it was... How, it was how, a, how did you take that news when you found that out? It was terrible. Um, I mean, of course it was terrible. That's really the only word that I can think to describe how I felt at that time. Um, I remember waking up in... in from anesthesia, I was laying in the bed and I couldn't move. I couldn't move my legs. I couldn't move anything due to um, my cesarean that I that I had. And my husband walks in the room and sits down beside me. And I say, "How's Hemza?" And what was strange to me before is during the C-section, I was awake for about half of it. And they they took him from me. They said he had a bowel movement, which was wonderful news. I thought, you know, he just has an obstruction. Everything passed through. He's okay. Um, I was able to kiss him. Then they took him away for surgery, and then they put me to sleep. Well, what I didn't realize, and now looking, my husband videotaped it, because now looking back, you can see the look of shock on everyone's face, because they didn't expect that to be the case. And even the pediatrician who was in the room, his hat is like halfway on, and his mask is like hanging off, and he just looks completely dazed and shocked at like what he's seeing because he didn't expect it at all and you can tell he like hurriedly put everything on and they wrapped him in a blanket and didn't tell me that anything was wrong I kissed him they took him away I still had no idea anything was wrong so when I woke up and I asked my husband how is everything I expected him to say it healed itself everything was fine he can come in here really I thought that everything was okay I thought that there would be no issues and it miraculously healed himself and that was not the case. Um, I found out that my husband found out the news entirely alone, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, he fainted <laughs> whenever he found out. Um, he 
went to the NICU after my son's surgery and the surgeon pulled him aside and told him kind of what happened. And the surgeon took really graphic pictures <laughs> during the surgery of all of his intestines out and how much length he had and what was wrong. And so he proceeds to pull out the phone and show my husband, who's like, doesn't even look Arabian anymore because he's so pale now, like, because he feels like he's going to faint, um, and shows him all these pictures of his son's, like, bowels sprawled out on the table and tells him that he's going to live for three to seven days and ask him what he wants to do. And my husband's like, I have no idea what I, what I want to do. Like, I need to talk to my wife. And at that point, my husband calls my mom and says, do I tell, do I tell her? Like, I don't know how to tell her. And alhamdulillah, my family, um, my dad, my youngest sister, um, my mother and my uncle all got on the next flight from America to Jordan. It took them about 30 hours to get there. Um, but they came immediately. The next flight was like four hours away from the time that my, my husband called and they packed their bags immediately and they came. Um, so they were there within a day. So it was wonderful. Um, my uncle came because he lost a son to leukemia and he is the only person in our family who has any idea how to kind of grasp and handle the loss of a child. Mm -hmm. So he came, um, to assist and to lend a hand and they came very quickly and going back slightly, my husband walked into the room and I asked him how Hamza was and he told me he would live for three to seven days. And at that point, I guess it didn't seem real. Um, I almost wanted to laugh. Like I thought he was joking. Um, really the inclination to laugh was pretty predominant. Um, and I, I don't remember, I didn't cry because it was something that was so surreal and something that was so kind of like far fetched that you are in shock, I suppose. Um, and I just, in my mind, I was just reeling, trying to figure out what happened. Like it went from him being in the hospital for two weeks maximum to the fact that he isn't going to make it. I felt very disappointed with myself that I didn't go home. Um, I felt frustrated with the doctors that they didn't see this diagnosis that's easily seen most of the time. 99% of the time it's easily seen, but 99% of the time the kids don't lose their intestines. So they have a lot of intestines out and they're able to see on the ultrasound, but my son lost all of his intestines. So the small amount that was out, it was pressed against his body and you couldn't see it. Um, so it was, it was frustrating and terrible. And I just, I lost hope. Um, I hadn't even been able to see my son at that point. I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. Um, later in the day, I was able to get up and go and see him. Um, and he was of course bandaged up. He weighed um, like four pounds. Um, he had tubes and wires in every part of his body. He had a bandage around his abdomen from his surgery, but he was the most beautiful human. Um, he still looks the same, but it was just, it was, it's so different to see a baby that's premature because they're covered in this like beautiful hair all over their body that keeps them warm. Um, in utero that falls out later, but oh my goodness, I remember seeing it being like so petrified that he was going to be like the hairiest human ever. Um, but tying this, tying this into Islam a bit is the fact that in the hospital, it was a little bit frustrating to me initially because everyone said, inshallah, he will live. If, if he's meant to live, he will live. 
um, whether he has future surgeries, whether he goes to America, whether he stays here, he'll live if it's meant to be. And I guess I didn't necessarily agree with that. I, I'm, I wholeheartedly believe that he will live if Allah wants him to live. But I also believe that God helps those who help themselves. And we can't just sit around and say, oh, if he's meant to live, he's going to live, but let's not give him any medicine. Let's not give him TPN. TPN is like total perinatal uh, nutrition. So it's like food that he gets through a central line in his heart. Mm. Um, so they were using in Jordan about 20-year-old recipes for TPN. So quite different than the, the TPN that he has here in the in the U.S. Um, normally it's short-term in Jordan, so it's okay. But for long-term, it wasn't quite manageable. Um, so I just felt that Allah provides us so many things to help us be better in life. He provides us with medicine. He provides us with school. He provides us with opportunities to grow and evolve ourselves. And I didn't feel like medicine and hospitals and doctors and all these things were just created against Allah's will. I, I felt that they should be used to leverage it and, and that they were there for a reason. And so my family came and we set in our minds that we were going to get him transferred to the U.S. as long as he was still alive. Um, and the doctors initially didn't even propose to us that going to the U.S. was an option because for everyone, unfortunately, it's not. Um, it's very expensive. It's very hard to get insurance. It's very hard to get accepted into a hospital coming from an international transfer. It's very hard to get life lighting from, the, from Jordan or from anywhere to the U.S. It's just very difficult. And so a lot of people wouldn't be able to go through with this. Um, but luckily, I, I was American and made it a little bit easier. So as soon as our doctor found out that we were pursuing this, he got really excited because he knew that he would have a chance to live in the U.S. Um, so my family came and we were able to get all of our cards aligned and get him to the U.S. Um, long story short, it took about two weeks and he hung on for two weeks. Um, so we got him to the U.S. At, on August 3rd and he was born on July 16th. And through this whole time, it was the most trying time of my entire life. A lot of prayer, um, a lot of prayer throughout the entirety of my pregnancy because I knew that something was wrong. I just didn't know what. Um, a lot of prayer just helping us get from, from getting insurance to getting um, air evacuation booked to getting accepted into the hospital to finding a hospital that's a leader in intestinal transplants that was willing to take us to ensuring that he didn't get sepsis or... Um, uh, an infection. Can I quickly j jump in here for a second? Of course. Um, you you mentioned like uh, straight after he was born that that you had you had lost all hope or you didn't have much hope. Is that correct? Yes. Um, getting from that and obviously I, I mean thank you for, for for sharing. This is like the, the second time that I think we're both hearing yeah. this in in past. Like we've heard bits of the story before, but mm -hmm. hearing it all like I can't imagine how kind of traumatic the whole experience was considering. When you talk about um, it being very surreal, when when my my daughter was born, I remember being in the hospital, and like I can look back at that whole everything that happened, but it still till today just feels like a, a weird dream because you're kind of sleep deprived and you're tired and emotions are kind of all over the place. So then to have something like this kind of thrown your way as well, I, I can't even begin to imagine how someone would begin to even process that with everything that's going on and and with a c-section that you mentioned that you kind of 
brushed over because I, I think C-sections in themselves are quite traumatic and, and quite difficult in terms of recovery. Um, but but like, again, there's just there's just kind of so much there. But I think the interesting um, thing about this particularly is, is, as I said, like when I read the last paragraph or the last section of the article that you had written, you were talking about never losing hope or never losing faith in God. Um, and, and how were you able, I guess, to get from a position of almost deep despair, not to put words in your mouth, but you know what I mean, not having any hope, to then like refinding that kind of stronger belief in God. And, and, and like you were saying that, you know, there's, I think there's a saying that says, trust in Allah, but tie your camel at the same time. Obviously, I think it's an Arab saying because we don't have any camels here. I've but, heard it before. That, but you know, you know the principle, right? Um, the principle is that like, whilst we should always trust in God, like you still have to do your bit. Um, and, and that was your kind of pragmatic approach to things that like, yeah, you know, if whatever happens, happens, but we have to do everything to kind of ensure that, that we get the desired outcome. Um, but how, like, how did that mentality shift, I guess? Like, what, what, what triggered that inside of you? I guess in the beginning of this journey, um, I mean, I'm still, I'm still a new Muslim. Um, in September of this year, it will be two years since I converted to Islam. Um, so it was still, religion was still new to me. It was, in the beginning, initially, it was, why did this happen to me? Why did Allah do this to me? I love to travel. I'm 23 years old. I'm not in my country. I just got married. This is like the worst thing that could possibly happen. Um, But as time evolved, my mindset changed a lot to the point where I don't, I wish I could have talked to me now back five months ago because it would have made everything so much easier. And it's really helped me grow in my religion and solidify my foundation in religion and realize what's important and the importance of never losing faith because Allah had a plan all along. Um, you never know if we weren't supposed to stay in Jordan or if this was the easiest way for my family to begin coming to the U S or if, if Hamza was born in the U S if things would have been different, if he needed to have his surgeon in Jordan, um, because random facts, normally babies with gastroschisis lose their belly button. Our surgeon in Jordan was amazing, and he kept his belly button. So, I mean, small things such as maybe the outcome would have been worse if we had him in the U.S. versus in Jordan. So I had to have faith that everything has happened as it was supposed to. Um, and looking back now, everything happened quite smoothly. Um, normally, international evacuation takes between two and three months. We were able to do it in two weeks. Um, I guess the big changing point in my faith is for about 24 hours, I felt very depressed, um, very sad, very traumatized. And then when my family came, they were kind of like this, they kind of like jolted me back to reality. Um, you know, Americans, they're very, um, go getters. I I can't think of another word for that. Like they don't really take no for an answer. Um, (laughs) so my dad is, um, the CEO of an electric company. My mom is a nurse. Like they're very, determined individuals so they kind of came and they were like what are you talking about why are you sad we're taking him to the U.S. and I'm like really like it just kind of in my mind like it didn't even like set in my mind that we were going to the U.S. and then they kind of came and they were like you need to get everything together you need to get yourself organized you need to get going and then it kind of like my parents kind of initiated that spark of of life and of hope within me and then 
after that, um, they left and I, I took it from there. I just really needed them to come and, and assist and it just really showed the importance of a family, um, my family that I abandoned <laughs> when I left the U.S. and they felt so angry with me. They still came to my side and they still came to assist. Um, this was the first time they ever saw me in hijab. They had never left the United States before. They, my, my dad had left, but on like chauffeured cruises, like it was like, and then just to come to the Middle East and completely engage in like Arabic and Islamic culture. It was a culture shock for them. Um, but they came and, and assisted. And I would say that their coming really kind of sparked that hope for me. And then I began to, um, I was able to begin praying soon after again. And once we got to the U S um, I mean, I, I didn't just pray my normal prayers. I prayed extra prayers. We fasted, we did everything that we could to kind of bring ourselves closer to God and use everything that we could to assist Hamza because the doctors could only do so much. 90% of his healing was going to be within his own body. Um, I guess you can use like the fish tank terminology or a picture. Like if you put a fish tank in a small tank, it's not going to grow. But if you put a fish in a big tank, it's going to grow more. So his body has to grow his own intestines. They can grow more and they can evolve and learn how to adapt. So it's kind of by God's will that he repairs himself and by God's will alone. The doctors can't do anything. They can cut and they can sew and they can prescribe medication. But if Allah wants him to heal, if Allah wants him to be better, then he will be better. So we've put our full faith in him. And since then, it has just been uphill. Um, alhamdulillah, we have, he's gotten better. He has, um, he came to the U.S. with 25 centimeters of intestine and now he has 65. He should have 300, so he's still quite short. Um, but he's able to progress more. Um, he is meeting all of his developmental milestones, which they told us wasn't possible because of his extended hospitalizations. Um, he is the happiest baby in the world. We are at home versus living in the hospital. And every day we see improvements, um, and we know that it's by Allah's will alone that we have these improvements um, because these aren't things that the doctors could do. And maybe they would happen regardless, but... It's just the only thing that we can do is for him is to have faith in God. And, and through that, through this traumatic experience, it's brought me so much closer because it's shown that like we can't do this alone. Um, we can't do this just relying on human intervention. Like there has to be some divine intervention. Just talking about, um, you mentioned doing things alone. I know you're, you're saying that in reference to Allah kind of being there for us and, and, and doing stuff. But... I think, again, an interesting point then, and again, the question I guess I'll open up to both of you, but an interesting point you mentioned is about um, your family and how them being there and, and coming along was, was was so great and them supporting you, obviously, as you said, despite you know you leaving them and whatever else. But like there's there's a, I believe at least, there's like a deep need for us as human beings. We're, we're a social, um, we're a social uh, being. That, does that make sense? Yeah. We're a social people. People are social. Sorry. Okay. Let's start again. <laughs> this is just, uh, we'll, we'll cut this up. We won't even cut it out. Anyways, let's carry on. So no, no, we're social, right? And I think that like having support networks, be they family, friends, whatever else is crucial and really important. And I think the, and, and this is, I guess, the question I'm going up to both of you is that from a perspective of like converting to Islam and finding a new faith, and and you obviously had your husband uh, married to support you with that, um, but like I guess starting with you, Jessica, 
like did you feel the need for community did you feel like an isolation from it because i think um and i'm i'm sure it's something we've spoken about before on the podcast but we have very much ethnocentric communities and community centers i'm sure it's the same in america but in the UK, every mosque is designated for a particular race, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very segregated in, in, in that way. Um, so I guess for someone coming into the faith, both of you, um, by chance, are both American um, Muslims. Um, Jessica, I don't know if you could tell by her accent, but she's also American. She sounds like me. I know. I was. <laughs> I was yeah, I, I feel well. kind of outnumbered here a little bit, but it's fine. Um, but yeah, as as kind of American Muslims coming from very different backgrounds, how is it? Like, do you feel that you have the community support? Um, if you know what I mean. I mean the Muslim community. Support. The Muslim community. I mean. Like, we've all had conversations about lonely Muslims and stuff, and I don't really want to expand on that. But it is, but just... You can check out your, your Being Muslim stop. series <laughs> yeah, on yeah, YouTube. Actually, yeah, yeah, you're right. yeah, we're all lonely here. <laughs> no, but I mean, it is a lonely process, but I think it's almost like a rite of passage we just all have to go through, and I'm, I'm thankful. But you, you almost find solitude in the loneliness. Yeah, for me personally, I enjoy it. And I don't know if it's like just a psychological trick I do on myself to make myself feel better. Yeah. But PTSD I genuinely, kind of yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> but um, but honestly, for me, I, I mean, that's how I found God originally was just being alone, right? And I purposefully didn't talk to Muslims in the beginning when I wanted to convert because yeah. I knew people mess everything up. Muslims are, you know, and I, I was... Never mind. I won't, yeah. I mean, I was surrounded by people who weren't exactly the type of people I wanted to be, hmm. especially in the country I was in and stuff. And so I think being alone is okay. And I think it should be celebrated and we need to accept, like be okay with, like, we need to normalize that. Yeah. But as you said, we're social beings and we need a community. But I think, um, I think what I've realized is, is that it's okay if my community happens to be my family who aren't Muslim. I was so intent on finding a Muslim community that I was disappointed by that, right? And I became mm. okay with being alone. But now I'm okay with having a small community that isn't Muslim. And I, I think, think that's just a I, I think that there's reality. A, there's a very interesting contrast, I guess, between your journey and, and uh, Mary's. Yeah. In the sense that yours was quite a social journey, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like while whilst it was your own personal thing, but it was through meeting people and through traveling and through being a social being almost that you you kind of stumbled a, a, across the religion and then got into it. Okay. So, what I mean, yeah, I'd like to to put this a similar question to you. Like, what does what does community mean to you? And and f- from a perspective of like the Muslim community, do you feel like a part of a like localized Muslim community in your area? If I didn't have my husband, it would be very difficult. So I, I can't even fathom doing it without him. Um, he taught me how to pray. He teaches me the correct pronunciation of Arabic words. Um, I'll try to say something and I, he'll say it 50 million times, not even exaggerating, before I finally get the pronunciation right. I'm trying to learn how to, to pray correctly or trying to learn how to read Quran. Um, one of my resolutions this year is to learn all 100 names of Allah. And I, like, he makes fun of me all the time. I'll say it. He's like, what are you trying to say to me? I'm like, name number 26. He's like, oh, <laughs> like, that's not what you're saying. And he's like, you're trying to say something completely different. I'm like, well, tell it. He's like, say it to me. Tell me the name. Um, and he's kind of taught me my way. So alhamdulillah, he 
is good in religion and, and is a good teacher um, because, unfortunately, I don't get to engage with the Muslim community as much as I would like here um, because my son has a really reduced... Side? What was that? Is that from, like, your side or is it because you there was kind of nowhere to go? We do, luckily. <laughs> so now I'm in Pennsylvania and the city that I'm in in Pennsylvania, uh, Pittsburgh, is quite diverse. We have quite a few mosques here um, and I luckily see, like, if I'm out on the street, I'll see like five, six, seven hijabi women a day. So I see a lot of women in scarves. Um, so it's, it's refreshing. It's a lot different than living in the Midwest as I did before. Um, but because my son has a reduced immunity, I don't really get to take him around large groups of people. So on Fridays, my husband goes to the mosque, but if I were to take a seven month old to the mosque, I, would, I wouldn't be able to pray because I'd have to hold him, and I couldn't give him to the daycare workers because are they going to wash their hands every time they touch him? Are they going to let other people touch him? Yeah. You know, like I can't give them a mask and sterile gloves and tell them just to hold my son and like not touch anyone else, you know? And I'd probably be that crazy mom no matter what. Um, but I would love to get to the point where he's a little bit older and I can go and engage with the Muslim community because we really have a wonderful mosque system here, um, a few wonderful mosques, and... I would love to go. He's just not at a point that I feel like I can go if I want to pray, if I want to engage. Um, plus, my concern is I don't know how much you guys engage with Arabian people. I love Arabian people. My, my husband's Arabian. But they love to touch and they love to kiss. And they are very um, hands-on. And I don't yeah. know if I could get to not walk up to him and kiss him or just squeeze his cheeks or to touch him and I would just be so I'd be so stressed and if he gets sick we have to go back to the hospital if he gets a temperature we have to go back to the hospital so unfortunately we have to be a little bit isolated however um, there is another little girl here another Muslim family who's in a similar situation as us um, she was born in Egypt and she was in a swimming pool accident when she was five um, resulting mm -hmm. in her intestines um, being sucked through her due to the swimming pool drain um, she came to the U.S. 12 years ago, 13 years ago actually now, for a transplant. Um, her transplant was just small intestine initially. It went bad. She lost her small intestine, large intestine, pancreas, um, stomach, liver. I, I think I got everything. So now she needs a huge transplant. And she's in the U.S. She can't get insurance. Her mother can't work because they're on tourist visas. Um, and they told her she needs to raise $4 million to live. Wow. So it's kind of um, a similar situation. We're on the same floor in the hospital. She's also on TPN. She, um, which is the line in the heart that gives the food, um, she kind of understands us a little bit. And so her family often comes over. Um, we spend a lot of time with this family, um, and they're wonderful. So I would say that I spend time with them. And then also in my building, we have a couple of, of Muslim families as well. So I am engaged with the Muslim community, but not as much as I would like to be, inshallah mm -hmm. soon. Inshallah. Inshallah. Oh. Anything else from your side? I think that I, I think it's really interesting. I, I mean, you're like I, I think I, I told you again the first time that we spoke. Like you've been through almost like a, a lifetime of experiences within the space of a few years, um, and and like it's it's remarkable i think just how much of a journey that you've kind of been on and you've managed to kind of uh well you're still living it obviously like you know your, your son your son still has a long um way to go in terms of of recovery and everything else and inshallah obviously we wish him all the best 
but I, I think what stood out to me was just like your like I was the was the term your go getter attitude. <laughs> it's not I've never said that that phrase, but you know what I mean that that, that kind of that you willingness. Said it in a British accent. Too. Yeah, I'm not going to say go getter. So, yeah, you go, can. That go getter attitude <laughs> um, of of just kind of like persevering and and um, doing what's necessary. And as you said, like you know, maintaining that kind of faith and connection with God. Um, and I think that's that's what's kind of inspiring, and, and also on 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 the the first hand as well, just having the bravery to kind of get up and travel, um, and and discover yourself and the world and whatever else. And I mentioned to you as well that like for me, I I, I was fortunate enough to travel when I was a little bit younger, and it kind of just opens up your 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 mind and and you experience so many different things. Like like we discussed, you were telling me about some of the things that happened to you on your travels. And like you were saying them in such a trivial way, like about how your you got burgled in in one country. I can't remember where it was. In Tunisia. <laughs> in Tunisia, you, oh, mm-hmm. you got you got followed home and then burgled, and like they took everything. And that that taught you not to be like a naive American who thinks they're untouchable. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but like there's as as like again as horrific as that must have been at the time. But there's there's so much kind of richness that you kind of learn and and you grow as a person through these experiences. Um, and I think that's definitely something that, that people should try and do travel. I don't know if, if traveling alone is, is advisable, um, especially with your attitude and potential to being robbed and things like that. <laughs> but but generally, it's, 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 it's a very good thing to kind of do and embark on. Um, and just in general, I know we spoke previously on the phone as well, but you were saying that you've really learned to just not just accept your fate, but be content with what Allah has to give to us. And you were describing how life is like a corridor with doors, right? I mean, you can Definitely. probably say it better than me, but I think that describes... I want to hear this. I haven't heard this. Ha- okay, yeah. Mary, she, tell she me about it. corridors and doors. <laughs> so my way that I have seen it is, first of all, we don't know what's best for us. We don't know the big scheme of things. Um, my husband told me, I can't recall where he, he said this from, but um, no matter if we know what's going to happen to us in life or not, no matter if... I was told two years ago that I was going to get married. My son was going to have an extreme birth defect. You were going to come to the U.S. And all this stuff was going to happen. We would still follow the same path. We would still make the same decisions, even if we knew what was going to happen to us. But we don't know what's going to happen to us. So we don't deserve any compromises. We don't get to ask questions. We think that we do. Um, But who are we to say what's best for us? Um, Only Allah knows what's best for us. And... I explained it um, to Jessica like it was a hallway full of doors. Um, some You might find like a beautiful door with, with a bright white paint and like a beautiful knob and great like border around the door and it looks like the best door ever and you're like, this is the door that I want. And you walk through the door and you have an empty room and there might be nothing in the room for you and you might be so disappointed and feel so alone and so empty. But there might be another door that's paint is kind of peeling off and you know the knob is hanging off a little bit and... It definitely needs a touch-up, but then you open the door, and it's the best surprise. Um, And you're told, you need to choose this door. You're like, I don't want to go through that door. Like, that door looks like it is no fun. I don't want to go through there. It's not beautiful. It doesn't have a good outlook. It's not what I want. But then you go through it, and it's everything that you wanted. But we don't know what's on the other side of the doors. Um, I don't know how my life would have been different without Islam, without my husband without my son I don't know how things would have changed um and going through the door of a birth defect is never going to be a beautiful door um but it has shown me 
how to appreciate life more and how to appreciate health and how to appreciate family and how to appreciate appreciate overall religion and feeling like you have someone to go to and someone that can lead you the way um, without you even having to do anything except to pray and to give thanks. Um, it's, it's enlightening, I suppose. Um, just the fact that no matter what we want, it's not really what we want. We can always try. We can always plan. You can go to school. You can get a job. You can live in a certain city. You can try to live your life in your way, but it's actually not your way. It's always, it's, it's always been predetermined for you. Um, no matter if something good or bad happens, you have to be thankful um, and say alhamdulillah because if you say alhamdulillah for everything, then the bad things stop seeming so bad and it all has a little bit more of a purpose. I think, um, I think perspective ultimately is, is so keen in kind of everything that we experience in life. And as you say, like you can turn uh, a negative experience into like an alhamdulillah experience just it's just it's just purely on mindset right and 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 again like the big takeaway for me from from our kind of couple of conversations that we've had is just about embracing whatever situation we find ourselves in life um and i think that's the thing and like you know as as you've said previously like the you know the last thing you could ever imagine is your kid being born with any sort of problem but then like when that does come along you can either say oh how how can this happen to me why did this happen to me why did god do this or just say alhamdulillah like this is this is my journey this is my test this is what i've got to um get through and 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 do it essentially um but no thank you very much for for, for your time yeah, and for you. sharing so much kind of intimate detail about your your life essentially um we really appreciate that and and um we're honored i guess to kind of be a, be on that journey with you and and like i mean definitely stay in touch i i, I think I think your your story is not even half half done, to be honest. Um, considering what's happened in the last couple of years, who knows what another like three years is going to do? Um, but inshallah, all the best. Inshallah. Thank you guys so very much. Thank, oh, you. thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful to talk with you. Truly, it was, and I hope to <laughs> be able to send you some more articles and keep engaged and inshallah. keep in contact. Definitely with you. do. Thank all you right. so much. Thank all you. Right. Have a wonderful thank rest you. of your day. Okay. You salam. Take care. Bye, guys. Salam. So that was our conversation with Mary, Jessica. Initial <laughs> initial thoughts. I I mean I'm almost speechless. I think there's I mean it was just very inspiring and and there's I feel like there's not much to say, just because it's she don't like saying much. Yeah, I don't like saying much, <laughs> anyways. No, but I mean she she spoke so well and and in detail about her her journey. It was yeah, and she's still living it too, right? That's that, the thing. That, that's the thing for me. Like obviously she's still living it, but also just this this notion of and we discussed it right at the end where we were talking about um, embracing and just like accepting the circumstance that we're in. Yeah. Um, and this is something that I I always genuinely do try and do, but it's it's having that understanding slash appreciation that god does have a plan for us all and and we can't second guess that we need to have faith genuinely as cliche as it might sound and kind of trust that the path that we're on is meant to be our path yeah it's really easy to get swept up in Mm. all the issues and problems in life and i do that myself all the time i stress out about all these dunya things when we shouldn't really do that um and also i feel like also we we make plans for ourselves which we think yeah. are kind of set in stone yeah and then when something derails it whatever it might be um we assume that that's 
almost against our plan not in line with what our plan should be mm -hmm. but actually that is the roadmap for us we just don't know it yeah and often it's like when you reflect and look back and this is what i was saying that like even with with, with mary like while she's still living it she's been able to kind of look back at least um on everything that's happened in the last few years and taken a lot away from that and and that for me was was inspiring in the sense that that's what i would love to be able to do um and she has a sort of wisdom beyond her years um just by virtue of the fact that she's been through so much she's been on such a journey yeah. basically and that there's so many ways of finding god almost yeah. over and over again right i mean she was raised and born as a christian so she had that connection with god and then she went through that buddhism phase and then mm -hmm. she found islam and then she almost like refound her connection with allah after the birth of her son as well so it's like this constant process constant journey yeah, yeah. so last question for you are you going to be back on the podcast maybe that's that's better than a no um well if, thank you if, if you're nice to me i was saying thank you to everyone else not you can i get back to wow that? see this is why i don't like being on the podcast <laughs> okay i'm joking out. thank you very much jessica for for, for co-hosting this podcast you're welcome. um and you're, you're always more than welcome thank you for having me oh no thank you so much honestly do you want to go over to your wow. desk now he's no, banishing me from let's there. finish so um okay. yeah no for those listening thank you very much um a few announcements so we're actually thinking of changing the name of this podcast to, oh God, Hasib, what are we changing the podcast name to? Shifting Narratives. Shifting Narratives. Really? Um, yeah. Exclusive. Oh you, you heard it here first. No, because because we're launching a second podcast. Um, I think I can announce it here called I'm Not Your Bilal. Um, and, and we will be releasing more information about this very shortly. But it's all going to come under the TMB podcast umbrella. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you can't have the TMB podcast being called the TMB podcast produced by TMB podcasts. Does that make sense? Yes. So like TMB podcast becomes its own brand. Okay. Um, yeah. So I should have told you this before. Yeah. But yeah, so, 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 we're, so we're, I mean, ultimately, this whole podcast is about shifting narratives, supposedly. So that's that's what we're potentially thinking of doing. Uh, people in the office don't look convinced but whatever um maybe we'll change it let's see and uh, that's i guess everything if, if you're if you're listening to this podcast for the first time please do subscribe send us the articles uh, send us any articles you want to write oh yeah and so jessica's right? our, our, our like website i didn't i didn't think we mentioned that at the beginning that i'm the editor yeah maybe we did i don't know no we did. i didn't actually mention that okay well anyways just get it's all the articles and and deals with all and liaises with and, and the writers all the writers yeah. so if you are interested i'll put her email address in the description as well you can contact her directly um we would love to to hear from you and have content and everything else and that's everything um thank you very much for listening bye <laughs> i don't know <laughs>